I'm telling you, I always feel that our time of worship goes by so quickly, uh, but I, I love it. I hope it's, uh, it's a blessing to you as, uh, as we take, take time always at the beginning of our service to, to sing and to praise our God. There's something about it that just prepares our heart and, and gets it ready to receive God's Word, and, and I hope you are ready this morning to receive what God has for us. Hebrews chapter number 11 and we're going to continue our series on a life of faith. We've been studying this chapter, uh, starting from verse number one, and uh, we're already down to verse number 23, but we've been learning about what faith is. We, we began with having faith defined, and we said a very simple definition of faith is believing what God has said. And we found that in verse number really one, two, and three, we find that faith is kind of described. It's not exactly defined there, but it is described in a way of what believing faith or believing God is all about. Then when you get to verse number four and five and six, we, we begin to see that uh, faith is to um, affect every area of our life. Uh, we find that faith is to affect our work. It's to affect our worship. Uh, it affects really every part of our life. Uh, sometimes we get tempted to think that faith is one part of our life, and then our job is another part of life, and our family is another part of life, and, and we have to keep them separated or separate from one another. But we find that faith isn't something that is separate in our life. It's something that affects every area of our life. It affects the spiritual side of our life, yes, but also the family side of our life. It affects also the work side of our life. It, it affects every area of our life. And then we learn this from uh, verse number eight and, and moving forward from Abraham's life that uh, faith is to uh, affect uh, not only the, the, the um, attitudes of our life, but also the actions in our life. We said that belief, true belief leads to obedience. And we find that Abraham obeyed God because he believed God. And then we said that, and we learned that we have to trust. Faith also involves trusting God. And trusting God leads us to be patient in our life. We can't get ahead of God. And we find as Abraham here uh, is, is described being patiently waiting for the promise that, that God had called him out of the land of Ur, and then he had to be patient for the promise that God wanted to give him. So we learned that in this series. We've, we've learned that uh, as Sarah also displayed faith in her life, she was one that received uh, power in a time of weakness, in spite of being weak. God gave her uh, the power and the strength that she did not have uh, before. How? through faith. And uh, we learned that as well. We've uh, learned how uh, God has been uh, using faith in our life to try us as well. Every true Christian will have their faith tried. And, and sometimes God asks us to do things that are seemingly impossible, things that we could not do of our own selves. Yet, through faith, we're able to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. That's, that's just what faith does when it is tried, and we, we learned that last week. This morning, I want to talk about what faith leads to. As I've said before, the author is writing to Jewish Christians. That's why the book of the 
Um, uh, that's why the title of this letter is called Hebrews. It's the book of Hebrews, a letter to the Hebrews, to these Jewish Christians. And he's trying to explain to them why faith is so far superior to a life of works or a life of just obeying the law of Moses. It's, it's, it's way beyond that. It's, it's more than that. Christianity is, is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. That means it's growing. It's something that we ought to be uh, uh, getting closer and drawing closer to God. The more years that go by, the more that we walk with God, uh, just like you would in a relationship grow in your love, in your knowledge of someone else, right? In marriage, we, we, we ought to be growing to, to know our wife more, our husband more, and, and loving them more. Same thing in our relationship with God. Our faith, though, leads somewhere. Because it's a relationship, it leads somewhere. Now, every Christian who will live a life of faith will have their faith leading to something. Faith is not a road that leads to nowhere. Our faith always leads us somewhere. It's a a roadmap that we're following. And the author here in this chapter, after talking about belief and trust, after talking about faith, in spite of weaknesses and in spite of impossibilities, after talking about faith during trials, he shares with them, those Christians he's writing to, that faith needs to be leading somewhere as well. And so notice what he writes in verse number 23 as he talks about this idea of leading somewhere. He says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child. They were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch him. What is he talking about? What is the author really pointing to here? He's pointing to the fact that faith also leads somewhere in life. Now, as I was researching this this week, I I found that maps have been around for like 5,000 years. Uh, some of the earliest maps that we, that we find uh, are, are, of course, drawings and things that, that you can find in different uh, historical uh, places. Uh, but then uh, this is a map, uh, for instance, of, uh, that was done in Babylon back, I don't know how many years that's been, thousands of years ago. And you find that the early maps in human history were kind of like that. They were a little bit... Um, general in what they were um, communicating as to what is on that map. Now, in 2023, if we were trying to get somewhere, we would not be using a map like this, right? Uh, you, you, you can Google on your phone using Google Maps. You're going to find something a whole lot clearer than this. Uh, you'll find that there on the map, there's something that's pointing north and south, east and west. You'll find that uh, roads have names and and, uh, and you'll find that the map uh, is, is going to be a lot more detailed so that you can get to where you want to get to. 
Maps have the purpose of leading us somewhere. That's why you need all the information that a map can give you as far as direction, roads, and everything else. Uh, It's to to help me know, hey, I'm on the right path. I'm going and I'm getting closer to where I want to get to. Well, in our faith, in our life, as we live by faith, we ought to be getting closer to something. Now, we definitely ought to be getting closer to someone, and that someone is God. But in order to get closer to God, in order order to get closer on that map of life to where our faith is taking us, we have to see what what the map is saying. We have to read the signs of, of the map to get there. So this morning, as we study verse 23 down to verse number 28, I want us to see some of the, um, the map of our faith, of what it is leading us to do and to be and, and where it's leading us to go in our life. So if you have your notes, I want you to notice, first of all, then, that the first I guess, road sign that we see on our map of our faith is that faith leads to a sanctified life. A sanctified life. Notice that in verse 23, it begins with the faith of Moses' parents and the decision that they made of not killing Moses. Now, if you're not familiar of what was going on in the government when Moses was born, What was going on is that they were killing all of the male children that were Jewish. In the land of Egypt, Pharaoh uh, did not uh, know. There was a a Pharaoh, the Bible says, that rose up that didn't know who Joseph was and what Joseph had done. This was years after Joseph was in power. And and he began to see the Jewish people as a threat uh, to his power and to their country. And, uh, and so what he did was enslaved the children of Israel, and, uh, and yet they continued to prosper. And, and when he saw that they were growing in number, uh, he said, listen, if we, if we don't do something to control this, they're going to have a greater population than the Egyptians. And so uh, we got to do something. And so they began uh, to kill all the male children. All the boys that were being born were getting thrown into the Nile River. Well, when... Moses' mom births Moses, that law is in effect. And yet, they made a decision, both his mother and his father, to decide that they weren't going to throw him in the Nile. They weren't going to go and follow what was being told that they had to do. They they chose to to make a different choice in life. They, They chose to be different. You know, our faith leads us to live a life that's different. A sanctified life is a life that is separated, a life that is holy, a life that is different. Peter told the believers he was writing to, we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. There there is a light, uh, there's a life that we're being called out of and into, Jesus told his disciples, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. We're different. A sanctified life is a separated life. It is a different life. Now, how does our faith do this? How how did it do uh, that in the life of Moses' parents? Well, 
It does this because a sanctified life, a separated life, that's living by faith, values what God values. We live a separated life, different from this world, from the philosophies of this world, from the, the ideas of this world, by valuing what God values. The culture in the day of Moses' day, it said that it was okay to kill any baby that was Jewish born. They were a threat to society. They were, they were a hindrance to what we're trying to do. And so it's okay to, to kill that baby. I wish I could say that 4,000 years later we've progressed, but we haven't. I think you'll find that even in our nation today, we find this philosophy still moving forward. No, it's not based on, based on ethnicity. We don't, we don't say, oh, well, you got you to kill these babies, but not these babies. No, it's, it's open to anyone that wants to kill a baby today. But the philosophy of this world doesn't value life. We're against abortion because of the sanctity of life, because we believe that the Bible teaches that life is given to us by God. Because of that, it's holy. It's special. It means something. In, in Moses' day, his parents had to make the decision, well, what does God value? I know this is what the government's valuing. I know what this society is valuing. I know what the culture is saying is okay. But what does God say is okay? What is God valuing? You see, a life of faith is leading us into a life that is different from this world. Not different from the clothes we wear. We're going to use a lot of the brands that the world has, all right? Our faith doesn't lead us away from Levi jeans, okay? We're not talking about that. I'm talking about the world's philosophy, the purpose of life, what, what, why it is that we live, what it is that we value in this life. We find that Moses' parents were not going to live by the standards of their culture and by the values of their culture. No, they were going to live their life by God's values instead. You see, a sanctified life is produced by our faith leading us to value God's value. Not what is trending, not as what is popular, but what is truthful. What is powerful. See, knowing the mind of God and the word of God instructs us as to what are the values of God. This is why it's so important for us as believers to be studying God's word. What do these words mean? What is he trying to communicate? What is he trying to say? Because listen, when we can understand what the mind of God is, how God is thinking, what his values are, then we can have the same values in our life. We can adopt those same values. And it doesn't just extend to the area of the sanctity of life. It, it also extends into the area of what we talk about and what our purpose is in life. And how we treat one another. And what we do. It's, it's, it's something that, that affects every area of our life. What God values as what is good to learn. 
what God values as what is moral. And there, there's got to be something that says this is immoral and this is moral, or if not, there's chaos. Right? Well, we, we live in a world that wants to that, that wants to blur these lines for a reason. Listen, it's not scientific to say, well, I I think there might be more than two genders. There isn't, scientifically or otherwise. So why is that such a big issue? Why is our, why is our society, our culture trying to push, hey, this month we got we to, gotta, you know, uh, uh, support and it's Pride Month and, and, and why are, are, are these ideas being pushed? Because we live in a culture that doesn't value what God values. So if you can, if you can start blurring those lines a little bit, then everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Say, when Moses was born, that's what was going on. You know, when this letter was written to these Jewish Christians, you know who was in power? The Roman Empire. You know what really hurt the Roman Empire? It wasn't a foreign army that came and conquered them. It was the immorality within. It was the fact that they lost all kind of bearing of what was right. You know what's hurt our country? The blurring of what is it that God values. In Leviticus chapter 20, God told the people of Israel, so set yourselves apart to be holy. For I am the Lord your God. Keep all my degrees by putting them into practice. For I am the Lord who makes you holy. What is God trying to teach them the whole Old Testament, the whole New Testament? What is God trying to teach us? His values. His values. Our faith on the roadmap of life is leading us to a life that is different. That is sanctified. How does it do that? By us valuing what God values. Number two, by being fearless of the consequences. Notice that it says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. A life of faith leads to a sanctified life, a separated life, a holy life, a different life by those of faith being fearless of the consequences. You know, in, in the day and age in which Moses was born, there was no First Amendment rights for the Jewish people. You couldn't just go and protest in front of the Pharaoh's palace. This isn't right. We're against it. It didn't exist. You know, if, if you were going to go against what Pharaoh was saying... You know what happened to you? You would die. It wasn't a matter of, well, let's just take it to the courts and see what the courts decide. It wasn't that at all. Pharaoh was the court. He was judge and jury. Right? He, he was the one making the laws and, and he was the one that enforced the laws that he made himself. So when you read that, not fearing the king's commandment, you have to understand what the author was saying. 
He was saying, y'all understand that by doing this, if they would have gotten discovered what they were doing by not killing Moses, that they were putting their own lives at risk. That there was a big consequence for not doing what the culture was telling them to do. Can I say that in today's day and age, there's a consequence for living a sanctified life? There is. But we can't be fearful of it. it it's, it's interesting, the word that it says they weren't afraid, it's the Greek word phobeo. We get the English word phobia from that. It means to, to run away in fear, to have a, a heightened fear of something. So in other words, they were different and they were fearless of the consequences that that might bring. Can I say that maybe in today's America, at least at this point, the consequences for being a separated Christian aren't quite the same as what was happening in Egypt. They're not. But there will be consequences. I don't know if you've noticed, but you just even dive into different areas of our society and people that value what God values can get torn down really quick. You look at the major sporting teams, whether it's in football or basketball or baseball or hockey. Hockey, in fact, recently was uh, having the uh, uh, Pride Night celebrations at their arenas and they were asking the hockey players to, to wear a, a pregame warm-up that had the, the, uh, the LGBT flag on it and, uh, and, and kind of represent that way. And there's been a few. There's been a few hockey players that said, listen, my faith does not allow me to be wearing that or promoting that. It goes against what God values, and, and I want to stand for what God values. And, and the criticism has been harsh. For some of them, they get suspended from playing the game. When you get suspended in a major, on a major league team, they don't pay you for that game. In other words, it's costing them their paycheck. Oh, well, that's millions of dollars that they make. That's millions of dollars that they're losing. <laughs> Living a life that's sanctified has consequences. You might not be the most liked at work. You might not be everyone's favorite neighbor. You might be despised. But notice what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, I put it in your notes, verse number 10. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's always been a price to living a life that is sanctified or separated. Always been. Jesus said, count it a blessing when that happens. If we're living a life of faith, then it'll be leading us into a life that values what God values 
and a life that's fearless of the consequences that that might bring. Number two, what else does the roadmap of our faith lead us to? Number two, faith leads to a surrendered life. You notice in verse number 24, 25, and 26 that it says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. What is it talking about? It's talking about a surrendered life. The author is highlighting the life of Moses and highlighting the fact that he had to surrender all to God. Moses could have had a very comfortable life, a life in politics and pleasure. He, he could have had the mentality of the here and now, right? The I'm, I'm comfortable, I'm in a good place, and uh, I like where I'm at. I'm not going to stir the waters too much. But he didn't. He surrendered that life. Now, our faith leads us to live a surrendered life as well. Not only a separated, sanctified life, different life, but, but also a surrendered life. A life that says, none of what I have is mine, it's all God's. The money I have is not mine, it's God. The possessions I have are not mine, are, they're God's. The time that I have on this earth is not mine, it's God's. It's all his, and I'm giving it to him. Not because it's mine, and I got to give him something. He needs something in life. No, no, no. It's because it's all his anyway. Surrender is more recognizing that everything is God's. Now, how do we do that today? How did Moses do it? By denying that identity with Egypt. How do we do it today? By denying the world's identity. Now, Moses was recognized by all Egypt as Pharaoh's daughter. He was royalty in their eyes. He was given power simply by the fact that he had ties with those powers. Yet Moses was not identifying with them. He says, the, the verse says, choosing to refuse to be called Pharaoh's daughter. It was like, oh, Moses, yeah, yeah, you're the, uh, you're the, you're the new the up-and-coming politician, and you're Pharaoh's daughter, right? I'm not Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted me. But the Egyptians aren't my people. Like, this is not my country. Yeah, yeah, but, but, but you could be the next Pharaoh. There are many people that believe, commentators that believe, that Moses was probably in line to be the next Pharaoh. Obviously, uh, that Pharaoh that was before him had daughters, and the daughter that found Moses and, and brought him into their family was probably thinking, you could be the one that replaces my dad as Pharaoh. But Moses didn't want that identity. You know, today the world offers you and me great titles and identities. The world wants to identify us and claim, it, claim us as its own. 
the world would like us to believe that power is the secret to a happier life. You just, if you just got to this position in your company, you'd be happy. If you could only have this position in your city, city would be better. Your life would be better. Man, if, if you just had this much in your bank account, wow, how life would be so much better. The world wants us to identify with its values and with its titles and with its purpose. But a life of faith cannot identify with those things. A life of faith refuses to identify with those things, if I could say it better that way. He refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter. A life of faith doesn't identify joy and happiness with power and money. But rather with a relationship with God. A life of faith surrenders to a higher calling in life. That's why the Apostle Paul, he wrote in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. He didn't say to the calling of God or to a calling of God. He said the high calling of God. See, living for God is the highest thing you can do in your life. It's the most significant thing you'll ever do in your life. what will bring you true joy and lasting joy. Paul told the Christians in Corinth, he said, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us, us, those that have believed us, this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. What was Paul doing? Identifying with God. What did Moses do? Identified with the people of God. He had power. He had everything the world, you would say, could give him. But he refused. Today, a surrendered life will deny the world's identity. And number two, notice it says choosing. A surrendered life chooses to suffer over a life of pleasure. Moses chose to suffer with the people of God. He willingly chose to be treated as one who was a slave and powerless in Egypt. He identified with that minority there, if you will. You know, today living a life of Faith produces much of the same thing. We're despised and rejected simply for believing the Bible and living by faith. And if you, if you choose, if you choose to be surrendered to God, that comes with it. Suffering comes with it. 
If you say, I want to live not identifying with this world, but identifying with Christ. I'm an ambassador of Christ. I'm, I'm, I'm one who he's given me a responsibility and a message to share with others. And, and I want to do my best to, to take this awesome message, the message that, that God loves you, that God can forgive you of your sin, that God can give you eternal life and share that he can, yeah, that God wants to reconcile with us and with you. If I take that message and, and share it with others, being a good representative of Christ, let me tell you something. There'll be suffering that comes with it. Listen. Living in a world that doesn't value God's values, living in a culture and in a society that surrenders nothing to God but says everything is about me and mine, produces things that we ought not be surprised about. Now, listen, I love this country, right? America is my home. It's where I was born. But we can't be surprised when we start living in a culture that's trying to kick God out of what they do of what the consequence of that is. We can't really be surprised about school board members in our nation wanting to punish those of faith. A lot of work here. They're a danger to us. You can't be surprised when libraries say, no, you can't read any book like that. One that talks about God's design. How, how, how are you going to read that in, 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 our, in our libraries to little kids? I mean, you're, you're going you're to start warping their mind. We can't be surprised, though, that those very same people will have some transvestite do some show for them in front of kids. Because that's what happens when you put God aside and don't surrender. You can't be surprised when pressure is put on major corporations and companies to try to promote one lifestyle and one ideology. I'm not happy about it. It, it hurts. It's sad. And you know, when you surrender your life, you live a sanctified life, there's, there's suffering that comes with not going along with the world's agenda. We see that Moses refused to be called Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with God's people. If we're to live a life of faith today, then we will have to choose to suffer for the cause and name of Christ. Listen, you say, why would you do that? Because this life isn't everything. Because there's more to life than the here and now. Because the true riches that God has given to us is not for here on this earth. And not in this life, but a life that is to come. And we talked a little bit about this last week. It's really hard sometimes to hang on to that truth and that reality. 
but it's the only thing that will help you to continue moving forward in your faith. 1 Peter 4, verse 14 to verse 16, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. For the glorious spirit of God rests upon you if you suffer. However, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. You know, I have found, by the way, that that's the biggest knock on, on people today of faith, right? We're not lighting buildings on fire or cars. We're not throwing rocks through windows. We're not destroying property. But we're the danger to society, they say. But we're, we're the things that are that our children must be warned about. I don't know about you. If you just look through history and seeing what those that believe in God, those that have a relationship with God and what they've done is help. Salvation Army is founded by someone that believed in God. You go to most places where missionaries have gone to give the gospel in remote villages, and you'll find that many of them establish hospitals and schools, you know, to educate those that had no education and to help those that were dealing with infirmities and illnesses. But we're the menace to society. Just for having the name Christian. Paul said, praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. A life of faith leads us to a surrendered life. Number three, because time's getting away, faith leads to a spiritual life. Verse 27 and 28, we find that he highlights this. By faith he forsook Egypt and not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Faith leads to a spiritual life. God had told Moses that the angel of death would be passing through the land of Egypt, and if he would observe what is called the Passover that night, if he would kill the lamb and get the blood and put it on the, on the doorpost, then the angel of death that night would pass over that home and not kill the firstborn that was in that, in that home. It had never been done before. It was instituted for the very first time by Moses. And God simply told Moses, Moses, this is what you're going to do. Y'all are going to celebrate the way you're going to do it. Y'all are going to pack up everything. You're going to be ready to go because this very night, Pharaoh is going, to, is going to come to your door and say, get out. Get out of here. And you guys got to be ready to go. And Moses, by faith, did that. Put the blood, observed the Passover, wasn't afraid about the king's wrath. The king had told him, Pharaoh told him, Moses, the next time I see you, if you're in my presence, I'll kill you. Now, the observation of the Passover was not just a physical act, 
but a spiritual act. We studied this before years ago. I, I had a class and we taught over what the Passover pictured. And it pictures Christ. And, and when that lamb was slaughtered and that blood that was put on the, on the doorpost of the home, it, it represented the blood that Christ was going to shed on a cross. And in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he said, the, the blood of bulls and goats, it cannot forgive sin, but the blood of Christ can. That's why he is our, our priest, our redeemer, our savior. The, the act of the Passover and to observe that was to observe a, a greater spiritual truth. It wasn't just a religious thing to do. It was like we're doing this because we're picturing and we're believing that this picture is a Messiah that's going to do this for us in reality for our sin. So how does faith lead to a spiritual life? By highlighting greater truths. A spiritual life is one that is living for the realities that cannot be seen right now. The realities that one day will be our experience, but that are simply an idea and future occurrence right now. Moses did that saying, there's a Messiah coming. This Passover pictures who he is, his body that's going to be sacrificed and his blood that will be shed for us. It's a picture of that. Now we look back at the life of Christ, but there's still spiritual realities that are ahead of us. There is a life of joy, though there might be suffering now, joy will come in the morning. Today we ought to live for those greater realities. Romans 8, 18, Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What was Paul doing? Looking at a greater reality. His faith was leading him into a life, a spiritual life, that though he was just like you and me, flesh and bone, where you got to get up and you got to shower and you got to get ready and you got to go to work and, and, and you got to do the things you got to do, yet there are greater realities in the day to live for than just the here and now. The, the spiritual life has eyes looking beyond here. That's why Paul said, man, I, I've been in prison. I've been beaten three times. I, I've endured all kinds of sufferings. But when I look at the greater reality is what's coming next, it's a light thing. You know, when we live our faith by valuing what God values, being fearless of those consequences, when, when we surrender our life to God and we don't identify with this world, when we have a, a different life, there will be suffering. What gets you through that is your faith leading you to live for that which is a greater reality? The spiritual truths of God's word. Notice lastly there, it's by acting upon it now. 
The final thought I'll give you about the Passover is that Moses couldn't wait a day. God said, I, I, I need you to tell the people and you're going to do it with them. You're going to observe this Passover. You're going to eat the slam. You're going to get the blood. You're going to put it on it. And you got to do it tonight because the angel of death is coming tonight. Moses couldn't wait and think about it. He couldn't say, well, well, let me just see and plan this out, God. No, no. He had to act upon it now. Can I tell you something? The spiritual realities of God's word need to be acted upon now. In Hebrews chapter 13, Paul said, now is the time to wake up. Because our salvation, that was not on purpose. That was an accident. He said, your salvation is nearer than it's ever been. Now's the time. The, the, the spiritual realities need to be acted upon now because it's too late after. So this morning, a life of faith leads to a sanctified life, a surrendered life, a spiritual life. If our lives are lacking any of these three, because we're not living a life of faith. If you're not living surrendered today, because you're not living by faith. If you're not living a life that's different and sanctified and holy and separated, you're not living a life of faith. If you're not living for the greater spiritual truths of God's word, you're not living a life of faith. The map is pointing by faith this way. And if you're not reading these signs and living those, those evidences of it, probably because you're walking this way. It might be time for some of us this morning to say, I need to get on the right map again. I need to get back on that part of life, that part of life that, that leads me somewhere. I want to encourage you this morning. Encourage us. Let's live a life that, that is sanctified, a life that is surrendered, and a life that lives for the greater spiritual truths. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. This morning, Father, I pray that as we, as we take time to meditate upon the faith of Moses, Live a life that was different. Life of his parents that went counterculture against what everyone around them was doing. We have meditate upon what Moses' focus was and goal in life. Oh, Father, I pray that we would do the very same today. Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts and in our lives to follow this roadmap of faith, and that our faith would lead us to a life that is greater. Be with us, I pray. Speak to our hearts, and may we decide today to stay on that roadmap of faith that leads to a life that would honor and glorify you. I ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen.